the history of personal computing. History, history, history. History of Personal Computing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special interview segment of the History of Personal Computing podcast. I'm David, and today Jeff and I are speaking to Oscar from Mühlen. Am I saying that right, Oscar? Uh, yeah, nearly perfectly. <laughs> okay, good. From um, Obsolescence Guaranteed uh, website yep. and creator of the the Pi, the PIDP8 slash I, a modern replica of the 1968 PDP8I computer. On Oscar's webpage, he explains, the project goal is to create a faithful but low-cost replica of the 1968 PDP-8i. Operated through the blinking lights front panel, it should evoke the user experience from the past. It should also replicate all stages in the PDP-8's development, which is not trivial because the PDP-8 series spanned a long period in computer history, from 1965 to 1979, and from teletype and paper tape all the way through, through to hard disks and multi-user systems. So welcome to the show, Oscar. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you. Really good. We we uh, we'll just tell a little backstory. We're able to make this happen the day after uh, daylight savings time here in the U.S. And Oscar is in Switzerland, so uh, Jeff and I were all ready to go, uh, you know, at the designated time. But we forgot about the time switch, so we're wondering where Oscar was. <laughs> Europeans have different different dates to switch the time. It's really, really... Yeah. So, so he was where he was supposed to be. You know, the t it wasn't time yet because we were an hour Maybe ahead. An hour earlier for this. <laughs> but great. We're glad we were able to, to make it happen and we can include this interview on our upcoming uh, show that Jeff and I will be recording in a few days and putting out on whatever it is next Friday. <laughs> you have to edit out some of my coughing because I just uh, picked up a bad cold, but uh, I'll try to do the coughing outside of there. Okay. <laughs> but don't worry about it too much. So tell us a little bit about yourself, um, you know, where you're from, your background, and so on. Yeah, um, it's, it's not really a logical background. Uh, I'm 48 years old. I was actually born in the same year as the, as the PDP-8i that I, uh, I made the replica of. Cool. Um, so I have no, no personal uh, recollection of that machine. Uh, I was born in Holland, uh, trained as an economist. So, you know, all my el electrical engineering skills are on the, on the dodgy side of things, actually. Um, but these days, yeah, you know, making electronics is, is become a lot simpler, clearly, yeah, with the Arduino and yeah, all the good stuff coming from China. It's, uh, even the economist can do it. Mm -hmm. um, for the last 12 years, I've lived in Switzerland. And um, yeah, my, my personal background with the PDP was actually that I, I started collecting computers uh, quite a long time ago. I think when I was like 17. Uh, at that time, computers in Holland were kind of expensive. The dollar uh, exchange rate was quite unfavorable. And I quickly discovered that actually, you know, uh, slightly out-of-date computers were a lot cheaper than the new machines. So I, I <laughs> yeah. started going to companies and saying, well, you know, what about uh, throwing away your old iron? Can I have it? And that's, yeah, how it started. So for a long time, I, I collected old machines. And then, yeah, I, I guess the usual cycle for all of us, right? You collect these things, then they break down. You learn to repair them. You start learning a bit about electronics. And, and yeah, then the, the Raspberry Pi and the Arduino come up uh, it's a fairly predictable cycle I went through, I guess. Yeah, Jeff and I were looking the old software. Yeah, Jeff and I were looking through your blog, and so we found an article you did. I guess yeah, last year. So finally, a proper vintage computer den. Yep. 
Yep. So I guess you put some of your machines. So nice, nice collection just from the, the one picture here. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, I, I used to have it in the guest room, but then you know, that ended up with uh, you know, beloved members of the family that, that uh, came to stay with us for a week. That they, they had their heads between a next computer and an Atari ST. And uh, you know, at a certain point, it became embarrassing, according to some people. <laughs> so then I got another room and uh, you know, made it into uh, a den, which is yep. great. Great use of IKEA furniture, too. Yes. Yeah. You, you can waste an awful lot of money on, on, on uh, yeah, racks and storage and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I like to live on the cheap side of things, and uh, IKEA is then a logical choice. IKEA is great. Uh, we yep. we're fortunate to have an IKEA in downtown Atlanta, where I live. So we were just there. I, was it last weekend? I want to say it was last weekend. It was it was recently. Anyway, we went. So um, so do you have IKEA near you, uh, Jeff? Uh, Fifty miles away in Baltimore. But you go there once in a while, or every once in a while, yeah. Yeah, it's like it's a, near other places that I like to go to down there, but it's still, it's a, a plan to drive. Mm -hmm. it's, it's functional stuff, right? It's pretty decent. Although yeah. if I'm now looking at the, the storage racks in my den, I see that, uh, you know, a few of them are starting to, to bend under the pressure of the, uh, the old iron. I need to do something. Yeah. My wife's, I'm looking across it into my wife's office and her desk is all from Ikea. Our mm -hmm. entertainment center for the TV is from Ikea. My daughter's replaced her bed recently it's from ikea so yeah we have a number of things we, we really like it it's a it's a day it's a well it's in downtown atlanta so it's a good 45 50 minute drive and then you know it's a you stay there a couple of hours generally usually yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we eat like there one way path through the place right yeah and we generally eat yeah. there when we go and make it a you know an event oh you have the swedish <laughs> meatballs as well in the, in the yeah planet? oh yeah, yeah, yeah a number of things they have like a little mini grocery store you know where you can buy a lot of other swedish things yep and uh and eat you know, chocolate too, especially things like that, sweets. Yeah. But the only thing is, if, if you come there and you want to have only one thing, you always end up with a lot of crap, which afterwards you think you're fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. There's a few shortcuts you can you can kind of uh, shorten your travel through the store, but still, yeah, you're not going to park and get in and get out, huh? They make it difficult. I mean, uh, right. You want to go in a straight line, but then, uh, yeah. <laughs> Finding some, you know, I just like to hang around in their kitchens and you know, or the living room, sit down, watch those fake plastic TVs. You, know, you walk around, you go shop. I'll just sit here and relax. And they even have fake plastic computers, no? They might that, some, yes, they, yes, do. they do. So, it's yeah. <laughs> so go ahead, Jeff. You you lead off with our next question. Well, and, and I think we might all, you know, we all can kind of guess uh, based on your uh, passion for these systems. Uh, what gave you the idea for this project, and you know, how did you get started on it? Well, it went back quite a long time. I think when I was like 18 or so, there was a, yeah, not a vintage computer show, but something like it uh, back in Holland. Um, okay. And, you know, the PDP-8 at that time were quite affordable, right? People were actually happy to, to, to get rid of them. Um, take up a lot of space. Yeah. But I remember going to such a festival and looking at the motherboard of one of these things. And, and these motherboards, if you remember, are, are wire-wrapped pin-to-pin connections, right? Thousands of them. And I remember thinking, Jesus, if, if I ever you know, hit that motherboard and make a couple of short circuits, I'll never be able to repair that. And for, mm -hmm. for a couple of decades, I, I steered clear for, 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 from PDPs for that reason. I thought, yeah, they're proper collectible vintage machines. Am I you know, a responsible owner for one of these things? Probably not. Uh, <clears throat> let, let's, uh, let's wait. But then a friend of mine <laughs> uh, you know, did a sort of exhibit at our local Swiss uh, vintage computer club. And he showed off his machine, and that was yeah, like, okay, now I have to uh, have to have one. Um, 
And I decided, yeah, I had just made a, a Kim One replica, which was my kind of my first venture into electronics. I will get into that later because yeah. I, I bought one of those. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, so that, that's a tiny little thing, right? Electronically, you can't, you can't really get simpler than that. And I thought, yes, okay, it, so, but it's nice. It's neat. Yeah, it's minimalist, right? It's, it's simple. So I thought, well, these days, uh, yeah, with a half-decent microcontroller and, you know, uh, 89 blinking lights, a couple of switches, and I started looking on the web for, for um, you know, cheap Chinese sources for affordable switches that looked a bit retro. Um, yeah, and from there, from there on, yeah, it was not so difficult. In the end, I, I chose the Raspberry Pi um, because it is a pretty cost-effective solution, and it also runs uh, SimH, of course, the, uh, the venerable uh, software emulator for the whole PDP series. Did you did you have access to the your friend? Did you say had a PDP eight? Did you have access to that while you're making the the uh, reproduction? Yeah, it didn't help much because he had an eight E, which is uh, the, the the later. Oh, okay. Uh, more capable but, but somehow simpler uh, machine. I'd never seen an 8i uh, up until, um, of course, I don't know. I started doing this thing in, in, in May last year. Last year it was pretty much finished. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I basically worked off, off photographs of the internet and you know, trying to do all sorts of perspective correction on these photographs to really identify how it really looks in, in real life. Um, the big problem I had is that you know sampling colors from pictures is difficult, right? Every every right. photograph has slightly different hues and, and, and tones. Um, so I actually went to the CF in New York or in New Jersey uh, last spring in the hope that there would be an 8i there, but, but no such. Anyway, at, at the VCF in New Jersey, I hope to really find a, a authentic PDP 8i to basically sample the colors and, and do some, some color matching uh, because the rest of the machine was pretty much finished uh, by then. Uh, but no such luck. And then in the end, a, a, a Swiss gentleman here in, in Zurich um, had the front panel that, that he, uh, he wanted to part with. So that's now... Oh, okay. So then you had a real oh, so pattern. Really, yeah, fin- finalized the thing, get the colors exactly right. And, and that was it. Now, so why did you choose the, to create an 8i replica versus, let's say, an 8e? Uh, well... Did you cover that? I don't think... No, there's, there's an honest answer to that, but I'll do that later. Okay. Uh, the other answer would be, you know, it's an interesting machine. It was the last uh, uh, PDP that was built from 74 logic chips, uh, so so nothing more advanced than that. Okay. Um, and also, it was from 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 my own birth uh, year of birth, 1968. Okay. I thought that might say something have something to do yeah, with it. The honest truth, if I'm honest, is this this one has the most blinky lights. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I have those. <laughs> That's good. The later 8E was much more uh, you know rationalized in terms of production. Oh right, right. Uh, this one is, is kind of cute because it has actually indicator lights for yeah, the PDP-8 has eight instructions or really mm-hmm. categories of instructions. And you right. can, can see which instruction is being executed on the, on the front panel. Uh, this front panel talks to you like like yeah, no other front panel does. and that, that, that's Very nice. Yeah. But it will look good if you hang it on the wall too. Yeah, well, it, it's smaller than you think. <laughs> well, I, I saw it at the VCF Midwest last year. All right, yeah. There. So I basically decided to, uh, to to scale reduce it from uh, it scale two to three, mm-hmm. um, and the original reason for doing that was that the the, the switches I found uh, that you know looked nice to me and they were you know affordable in, in larger quantities and, and, and they had a good feel to them. Um, they happened to have the exact right proportions, but scale two to three. So I thought, okay, then I'll do the whole thing. So you matched them to fit that scale. And I think in the end that was a lucky choice because uh, it cuts down the cuts down the cost of, uh, of making them. Uh, the acrylic panel is clearly the most the most expensive thing. 
um, yeah, and the, the price of an acrylic panel kind of uh, goes up with the square of the size, right? So uh, making it a bit smaller, uh, yeah, makes it more affordable, makes it more of a fun gadget rather than, yeah, an overly expensive thing. Oscar, did you plan on like um, from the get go? Did you plan on selling any of these, or just you're just going to make one for yourself, or did you plan yeah. on? I, I, you know, I really wanted one for myself, and I decided the real one was too much hassle. So why not? Uh, replicate it, mm -hmm. and the nice way of, of, of making it as a replica is that you really get into the guts of the machine, right? There's right. no way to, to learn the machine then. You're building a replica, seeing how it really works. Um, so I had hoped to make maybe 50 or 100 of them because that that uh, cuts down the, the cost of the, the acrylic front panel quite a bit, mm -hmm. so more than a factor of three actually. Um, so I really needed to to find uh, in my own mind, you know, 50 crazy people like me that that were interested in this kind of stuff. Um, but the weird thing is, it, it got uh, picked up by a couple of uh, podcasts, uh, Steve Gibson's Security Now podcast, for oh, instance. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. You know, it was no longer 100. It very quickly became uh, 500, 600. That's now up to 1200 or something. They've got a big audience there. Yeah, exactly. And, and he's uh, got two of them, right? I've seen uh, two of them on his shelf. Yeah, he has this, he has this really nice uh, spare time gizmo, uh, SBC 612. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like, that's not a replica. It, it, it uses a, a microprocessor that was used in the late, the last uh, PDP-8 uh, series. Mm -hmm. um, so there was some old stock left of that, and he designed a, a circuit board around it. So in many ways, that's, that's halfway between a replica and a proper PDP-8, just not made by DEC. Yeah. It's a really cool machine. Um, Mm-hmm. And I, I've met the I met I can't remember his name the guy that made that one, I, mm -hmm. I I I met him at a VCF and I used to have one of his. Uh, oh, make sure I get this right. I think he also made a micro Kim. I think was that him? Maybe no, that was Briel. Trying to think. That's Briel. Yeah. He no, he also made another sort of a. a uh, it's like the RCA Elf, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Reproduction. Yeah. 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 It's not a really nice nice machine, uh, but his machine was was. You know, that was 10 years ago or, or 12 years ago, I forget exactly. Um, no Raspberry Pis inside then, so he really had to design a proper circuit board. Right. With that original yeah, microprocessor uh, in it, you know, su supported by all the other stuff. Um, that made it a pretty much expensive uh, mm -hmm. uh, machine to own. And at, at the time, I, you know, I, I did it a lot of time on his website and thought, okay, no, I, I really can't justify that. That's, uh, I want to say it was $1,200, and then they, they were very limited... You know how to get one of those too. Yeah, exactly. I think even uh, two years ago he did another run. Uh, oh right, had, yeah. You had to find your own uh, PDP-8 microprocessor uh, to stick into it. Um, yeah, for, for me that, that was a bit bit on the costly side, mm -hmm. but it did inspire me by saying, okay, if that's already out there, that that's on one end of the spectrum, in many ways really authentic. Yeah, it's in many ways it's, it's authentic hardware. Right. Then let me take the other side of the spectrum and, and create a right proper budget fake. Yeah, right. Uh, the experience is real enough, but it's it's inside. It's a emulator. Yeah, yeah. On, on the outside, it, it, it should look uh, like an 8i. It should behave exactly like one. It should be really compatible, uh, like I mentioned in the introduction, with stages of development. Um, but inside, it should just be uh, you know a cheap and cheerful fake. And then the Raspberry Pi made a lot of sense because uh, yeah, clearly easily well, sim H the the emulator on it. Hmm. Yeah, it's all your processing there, and then you have all those uh, GPIO yeah, yeah. ports for all the LEDs and stuff. The, the, the funny thing is, um, 
the Raspberry Pi has this GPIO port, uh, the, the 40-pin uh, connector. Um, and it only takes a few uh, machine language instructions to, 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 to flip a, a I.O. pin on or off. So you can really do that in line with the, the source code of the CPU emulator. Um, and it almost... Oh, so you basically interject code within the emulator to create that effect. Yeah, in, in fact, I got away with uh, taking the SimH uh, source code. Uh, not altering a single line of it, just inserting lines uh, inside it here and there to say, okay, uh, you know, this is the right moment to, to, to dump the uh, accumulator contents to the, to the GPIO port. Uh, and this is the time to, to scan for the stop switch and whatnot. Um, but all of that was done by, by inserting lines rather than modifying the, the existing code. Um, Interesting. Yeah, which I kind of liked because you know, SimH, I think, has been under development by Bob Supnik for, for, well, I think literally decades. Um, that's a pretty venerable bit of code. I didn't, didn't like the idea of messing too much uh, with it. Um, also because it's extremely compatible. I think, you know, to, to try and replicate uh, a PDP-8 architecture on your own uh, is going to be pretty hard if you have to match uh, what SimH is already and doing. And just tell us a little bit more about SimH then. What What is it exactly? It's, a, it's an emulator for, for what? So SimH is a emulator that runs on, I think, pretty much anything, you know, Linux, uh, Windows. Mm -hmm. It's been under development by, I think, Bob Supnik, who, if I'm not mistaken, was uh, at DEC uh, for a long time. Okay. Uh, he started making it, or first versions of it, I think literally 20, 30 years ago. And yeah, slowly that, that became a collective, right? A lot of people have made, uh, have contributed to that project. So oh, by wow. now there's a yeah. SimH emulator for the PDP-8, for the PDP-11, for the PDP-10, which is a really, really interesting machine. And even like the Altair 8800. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, I guess maybe we have talked. Maybe we talked about this in an early show, Jeff. I believed I I put it in as the emulator for the Altair one. And those yeah. So shows. we'll we'll add the show notes to this webpage, the Computer History Simulation Project. Yeah. Wow. It sounded familiar. It's, but yeah, if you want to play with those old systems again and, and software only, you can start with the SimH project. But adding the, uh, the the physical and tangible components to the front of it with the uh, the the PyDP8, that's that makes it even more fun. You know, watching all those blinking lights. Yeah, I, I thought this is like like a um, you know physical shape for SimH. I think that's literally the case. All the all the intellectual achievement of the thing is really SimH. That that's not my uh, not my credit. Um, but just hooking a less uh, to it mm -hmm. uh, was both quite easy and, and yeah, satisfying in a way because you end up with a pretty much ultimate PDP-8 uh, machine. I mean, originally I was thinking of, you know, should I do this with a, a simpler microcontroller? Because yeah, let's face it, PDP-8 is, uh, there's not much inside, right? In terms of the amount of logic. Uh, yep. You could do that with a much simpler microcontroller. Um, and then I wondered even in a moment of hubris to, uh, to, to do it in an FPGA. But um, yeah, I quickly realized, you know, whatever I would do, I would never reach the, the, the level of compatibility of, uh, of SimH. Mm -hmm. So all I would do is, is end up with more parts costs, right? If, if, you, if you do a, a simple, I don't know, some, some ARM microcontroller, you have to add a lot of chips around it, uh, a lot of connectors. Yeah. And you get your voltage levels all... Exactly. And the, the good thing of the Raspberry Pi is it's, it's, it's not just a CPU, right? I mean, it costs comes complete with a, a connector panel with USB slots and, and whatnot. Um, so yeah, it, it was both the most cost-effective and I, I think the best way uh, to make this replica. Yeah, and I think you, I think you chose the right solution. It wasn't, it wasn't just about trying to impress anybody, right? It was about nope. making a, a, you know, 
making the best product, we'll use that term, you know, the best outcome. So, yeah, sounds like you chose. Would it work with the Raspberry Pi Zero? I guess you'd have to solve your own GPIO connections to that. Yeah, so I've, I've been trying to get uh, get hold of a stock of uh, of Pi Zeros. Um, but that seems to be pretty hard. I, I just got one. Uh, after. Uh, yeah, I got I got one myself, but I think they, uh, you're right. They are hard to find. They just became so popular so quick. Everybody snagged them. And I wonder if the time ever comes that you can buy like like fifty of them for for five dollars for real. I think that, <laughs> because apparently the, the the production setup for the for the Pi Zero is different than for the other Pi's. All the other Pi's are made by big electronic companies, right? Farnell or whatever they're called. Um, but it is the foundation yeah. itself that's making the Pi Zero. Um, so yeah, I'll be interested to see if they can really ramp up uh, production. One because day, it's for five dollars. It's an amazing, amazing thing. It One is. day you'll just be able to get them out of a gumball machine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stick them in front of a magazine. No, they already did that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it, it would be a, a fun thing. I, I, I must say, if if, uh, if the Pi Zero really becomes available in, in significant quantities, yeah, that becomes an, an unbeatable proposition, right? Because it, it can do anything an Arduino or, or whatever can do just more and better, and if it's uh, cheaper as well. Plus, you have in the immediate video output and stuff if you needed it, and hooks up yeah. your t- TV. Yeah, and so that was actually coming back to the to, to the Pi DP. Also, one of my ideas that okay, if I'm using this grossly overpowered Raspberry Pi, which basically runs rings around the, the PDP8, um, you know, let it spend a few of its brain cycles on emulating the PDP8 on the front panel and and the terminal. Um, but why not just let it be a normal Raspberry Pi running in the background? Um, yeah, I, I think. Yeah, that, that became uh, halfway through the development of this thing. I, I kind of fell in love with the Pi itself. So I decided that this is a truly useless box, right? I mean, nobody needs a PDP-8, <laughs> let, let alone a, a fake one. It has decorative value. And, and, not true. And, <laughs> but um, yeah, why not just let the, the Pi do its own Pi thing as well? So you can also use it as a Wi-Fi router or a, a VPN. Yeah, well, running SimH lets you do that, right? Yeah, because SimH is just a program that, that, that runs in the background. Um, so, yeah, the way this is set up now, you, you can log in with you know, a real serial terminal or, or a, a laptop over, over Wi-Fi, have your terminal session with the PDP-8, but at the same time, you can uh, yeah, still do everything else with the, the Raspberry Pi in the background or the foreground. And there are hobbyists and stuff out there, or people out there that will see what they can make of you know this project when they receive it, and that that leads me to a question. Okay, so a bunch of these were sold already. Have you gotten any feedback from people who own them now, and and what are they doing with theirs? Is anybody playing space war on it? Yeah, a couple of people. Uh, I think the big problem with with a replica of a vintage machine like this is the fun is in in building it, learning it, get, you know, familiarizing yourself uh, with it. But the core problem always remains, what are you going to do with the PDP-8 in your life on a daily basis? And yeah, I think nobody has figured it out yet. Um, but yeah, <laughs> Just watch the lights and be happy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I think by now um, I sent out 700 of them. Um, and I think in truth, yeah. roughly half of them are, have been built uh, so far, I, I guess. Um and you have a wide scattering of people. You have the, the, the people that used to work with this machine or, or you know, worked in the development of it. And for them, it's really a thing of nostalgic value. There's a small hardcore of, of, of people that really use it to, to you know, program and develop, you know, use it as a PDPA. Um, and then there's a category of much younger people that think, okay, this is a, a 
I guess the point is a groovy blinking light case from the Raspberry Pi. Yeah, oh, degrees in computer history. Yeah. I was just a... in, in a way, I like that. I mean, um, but by making it simple and just cheap and cheerful, um, this becomes not so much a highbrow, heavyweight, authentic, you know, replica thing with all the, the, the issues around it. It's a gadget. It's a toy thing. And in a way, I, I like that. that. That reaches a wider audience. Um, and I do actually think that there's there's a lot of educational value um, in the PDP-8 if you want to really understand how a computer works at the lowest level. Uh, a front panel is a cool thing anyway because you can actually see the registers, right? Um, mm -hmm. And the 8i is special in that you can pretty much see all the registers uh, at the same time. Um, it's also such an easy machine that that, you know, Understanding the architecture of the of, of the CPU and, and of the, the I/O devices. In truth, it's all so simple. Um, yeah, there's a lot to learn about it. Um, so yeah, there's a couple of universities and, and, and schools that that uh, bought a couple of the kits um, to show them to the you know, to the students and, and try to to yeah provo provoke them into thinking, okay, this is how a computer really works. A computer is not. A Java interpreter plus five gigabytes of libraries, and nobody knows what's going on underneath. You know, a computer is is you know, an yeah, later program counter data. Yeah, you know, the, you know, the program counter, as you said, and um, you know the, which how codes, the different opcodes, are configured and run. Yeah, and you know, to be honest, I'm I'm not a machine language hero uh, myself, so you know, I'm happy to code on a 6502 or a Z80, but. Uh, not, not a master of it. The PDP-8 is so simple. Eh? In the end, you have uh, eight different instructions, um, albeit that you know each instruction has a couple of variants and whatnot. Uh, but learning machine language on the PDP-8 is, is kind of very simple because there's not much to learn. Talk, talk about a risk instruction set, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, extremely risk. Um, the problem, of course, becomes um, if you want to do advanced stuff on, on this machine, um, you know, knowing the machine language instructions, uh, you know, th those are not hard to memorize. The way to get around the, the, the restrictions of the machine uh, are sometimes quite challenging. So, for instance, uh, this thing doesn't have a stack pointer. You know, so calling a subroutine uh, means that you have to really think about you know, what does that mean and how do I do that? Uh, how do I jump back from the subroutine afterwards? Um, and, and then coding gets a bit more involved. But a simple program to blink the lights or, or, or whatever... Yeah, it's quite easily made. Actually, much more easy on this machine than on a, a, a C64 or a, uh, let alone a PC. And you know, Oscar, yeah, it's the, also, go ahead. you could, I mean, in its simplest terms too, it's also a piece of art. You know, yeah. you, you can simply have it hung on a wall with the lights going and uh, it's a nostalgic, you know, throwback. Yeah, That's interesting to look at. It looks really good. Yeah, and talk yeah. about. Yeah, also because... That, Digital choice of colors kind of reflects the, the age in which the machine was made. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the PDP-8i, yeah, at least in my mind, that's really a, a, a really 60s choice of colors. And then you come to the, the PDP-1170, for instance, from, what is it, 1970s? Yeah, early, yeah. Yeah, you get these really groovy disco colors, right? Purple <laughs> and magenta, I think, you know. <laughs> what and has you're to be smoking to make that from panel? <laughs> um, oh, yeah. So um, yeah, they, they, they're arty in a way, I think. They're, they're pretty. Also, the original machines—they're they're nice to look at. Oh, go ahead, Jeff, with that last question. So you're working on the PDP 1170 remake now, right? Yeah, yeah. After this, because I, I was, um, you know, totally surprised by by the, the number of people that were interested in it. 
Um, so for a year, I, I really struggled, struggled hard to 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 yeah, make the things. Also because the the cheap source of switches turned out to be a very finite source of switches. But that's another story. Uh, so I had to redesign the switches and come up with something else. But that took me a year of, of you know getting it going. Um, but yeah, the same trick you can do with pretty much any other machine, right? You can take SimH, the PDP11 uh, emulator, wedge the the blink and lights instructions in its software CPU. Um, and, you know, and make an acrylic panel of the, of the PDP-11. So that's actually, uh, yeah, I'm quite excited tomorrow, I hope to get the first prototype going of that PDP-11. Um, and then, yeah, things got out of hand. So at the moment I'm working with someone on an LGP-30 replica and on an, uh, an IBM System 370, which is kind of uh, the ultimate oh. Lincoln Lights, clearly. Okay, yeah. And it, it's nice, I, I think, I kind of justified to myself by saying, okay, I'll spend a year on each of these machines, really getting to know them from the inside out, because you pick it up once you're starting to, 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 to code the software for it. Um, yeah. Well, I have an interesting follow-up question, so I'm going to actually adapt it to what I had written down. But um, So my, my initial question, or question here was going to be, so have you considered creating other front panel computer replicas like say the Altair or the MSI, which are of course microcomputers, but but maybe as you evolve, or do you see this possibly evolving into a platform, where say you could swap out front panels and then essentially have these different machines in one box? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean what you could could do is take a PDP eight and, and and just design an acrylic panel with with different artwork. Yeah. And, and you know, in, in the ultimate of fakeness, you know, flip the PDP-8 for an, for an inside panel. Right. Uh, but then clearly the, the lights are not correctly positioned and the uh, lights yeah. are different. Um, well, or so it could be a, like it could have... Modular could, front panel. Yeah. Mm. Plug it into a separate connector. But let's face it, the, the electronics behind it uh, cost almost nothing, right? I mean, the, the, the electronics in this have a parts cost of... Yeah. So you might as well have separate ones. Yeah, you might as well. I mean, the expensive bits are, are really the the, uh, the acrylic panel and, and yeah, to some extent that little bamboo case that that I found. I, I kind of think ultimately, I, I really do believe that probably we're going to end up with 3D printing, especially as well as uh, like yeah. the way you're doing it and the pie. I, we're going to see reproductions of everything essentially at some point. I think so. That's also the reason why I really open sourced everything that I did. Right. So the schematic is there as a KiCad uh, download. Uh, the artwork is there as a download, so you can pretty much, um, if you find an acrylic panel manufacturer, you could make your own mm. on a one-off. It's probably a bit expensive. But, uh, yeah, that that I can see being the costliest part. That's yeah, that, that's where the group buying aspect comes in. That's also the reason why it made sense as a kit, um, because yeah, ordering the PCB from from one of these China PCB shops, yeah, you can just uh, you send the Gerbers there and uh, and you get it back three weeks later. That's it. Um, mm. But the reason for making it really open source hardware is also the idea that, okay, blinking lights on a microcontroller is a fairly obvious idea. Um, so yeah, I, I expect and I hope actually that, that, that other people will, will sort of pick it up as well. Um, and like you say, why not make replicas of, uh, of all of these things? Right. Um, the, the one thing I, I learned, um, and that was part of the, the fun of it as well, I think, um, I'll go back to the story. So originally, I found these nice switches on, on some Chinese uh, website, right? AliExpress, one of these things. And they, they looked like you know, proportionally the correct uh, switches, slightly different in shape than the originals, but kind of the same. Mm -hmm. So I ordered the sample, and they had this really nice sort of vintage clack to them instead of a modern click, if you see what I mean. 
so I, you know, I, I really like that switch, and I, I contacted the, the the factory and said, okay. So uh, the, the problem being, you know, my little gadget needs 26 of these switches. Uh, by now, I need a couple of hundred units, so you know, lots of switches. And of course, they tell you, yeah, no problem. We can make 100 million uh, per year. That's, that's <laughs> a problem. Um, the truth came out with the second order I did back in uh, what was it in October last? No, yeah, August last year. Um, so I paid up and uh, you know, sent me big box of a couple of thousand switches and then they ran out of them because the truth of it was actually these were switches that were made um, by or for the, the the Chinese military back in the in the 70s wow <laughs> so they were basically old stocks sort of lingering around in, in, they, somewhere. they were happy to sell them to you <laughs> yeah exactly but when once I uh, reached the bottom of the pile <laughs> then that was it there were no more of them yeah, so, that's yeah that's funny they're surplus yeah new old stock and yeah, and that was a bit of a disaster because I just uh, you know, ordered, uh, I think, 500 of these acrylic panels to be made, uh, and they have a very specific cutout you know, for the size of this switch. So that 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 you know that was not nice. And then I started looking for other switches, and bizarrely, with all the switches you think that are out there on the planet, none of them had the the kind of right proportions to to to, to fit this uh, thing. Um, so in the end, what I did was. Um, take a 3D cut model that was made by a PDP-8 collector, Vince uh, Slingstad. Um, and he put it out as sort of open source cut design in a program called SketchUp. And I slightly modified it to fit uh, the PDP, shrunk it back in size, and then had the, the Switch Factory uh, make them. And amazingly, that worked. I mean, that, that was <laughs> kind of... You know, shut my eyes, put another <laughs> a couple of thousand dollars wow. in the black hole. Um, but it turned out, you know, it was a respectable uh, company. They really helped a lot. And... Uh, Took me four months or so, but but afterwards, uh, yeah, uh, there we are. So that's why the, the newer PIDPs have this this kind of replica switch on them. Huh. Uh, that is and once great. I learned that that trick, I thought, okay, for the PDP 11, which has a really, yeah, groovy 70s style uh, switch that that we're <laughs> making today. Uh, yeah, let's make a replica of that also. So that's that's now uh, being produced, hopefully. Um, great. And I can't and wait to see it. Yeah, and that turns out, you know, it's it's not that expensive. So I'm already looking at this this IMSI 8080 that I have. Um, yeah, making replica switches turns out to be much easier than than I had ever thought. Well, I want one of each, please. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. it's been fun. It's really a fun uh, fun thing to do. Yeah, were you, you were at the VCF Midwest last year, weren't you? In September. Yeah, yeah. Was that you? Yeah, then it was probably you. I bought my Kim one. Exactly the day that. Uh, um, the, the Chinese guy told me that I, I, I had uh, reached the end of the, of the inventory of switches in the in the warehouse. So I was walking around there thinking, Jesus, I just put all these thousands of dollars of, of, of parts, <laughs> ordered all of them, and now the switch is no longer available. Oh, my God. But it has a happy end. And, and you were probably the one I bought. You also do the uh, Ikim One clone. I think I bought the kit from you. I remember distinctly you sold it in a cigarette box. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, uh, Which I thought was interesting. Everything fit, all the... All the all the stuff to to assemble the kit yourself uh, fit in that box, so it was actually pretty convenient to carry in a shirt pocket. Um, but yeah, I was there last year and I I saw the PDP, and I would have loved to get one, but it was a long trip for me, so I had expenses, and I thought, okay, I'm going to buy the Kim One clone yep. because it was uh, a lot cheaper, and I'm more familiar with the Arduino stuff um, myself, and. <laughs> You know the 6502 programming that it would give me in a in a handheld form. Yeah, I, actually, I have it. You're just cheap. Front of me. I, I'm cheap. Yeah, <laughs> I made my own case for it too. I saw you had a 3D printable case put up recently, but I ended up designing one of my own with the 
little button caps and everything. And ah, I, right. I still poke around at it from time to time. Yeah, it, it was fun because as it turned out, um, it, that, that story began when uh, somebody here in Switzerland showed me um, that he, ma he made a replica of a, a 4-bit CPU where the original came out of... Now, I think the original was, it was an experimenter's kit of Tandy back in the, in the 70s or early 80s. And then some Japanese company picked them up and, and, and made them also like you know, a little gadget on the front of a magazine, right? Yeah. Um, and he made it uh, an emulation of that in an Arduino. And I made the joke of him, well, you could actually run a, run a Kim 1 um, in that Arduino. It will fit. Um, and that turned out to be true. I mean, you have just enough space in a, in a standard Arduino to uh, put in a 6502 emulator. Uh, a couple of ROMs, um, and of and course plus one extra K. memory space too. Yeah, yeah, because the beautiful thing of the Kim One is it had, um, from the top of my mind, 1152 bytes of uh, of RAM. The Arduino has 2K, and it needs a little bit for for the emulation, but not much. So yeah, with exactly enough some. memory space. That's uh, and you, I think you reserve some as permanent memory too. Yeah, because plus. there's this little uh, internal EEPROM in the in the Arduino, so I just put that into the memory map as a second K of uh, yeah non-volatile memory. Um, also because clearly the Kim One had, had a tape recorder as mass storage, and that, you know, that was a painful idea back in the day, but you know, today that's even more painful. So I thought <laughs> now I'm hoping you come up with, like, uh, did you ever hear of the Heathkit uh, EC3400 or whatever it is, the microprocessor trainer? Yeah. That uses, yeah, those are popular. I'd love to get an original one myself, but they, they keep going for lots of money. Maybe you'll create a uh, emulator for those <laughs> or a, a repro for those. Yeah, <laughs> by now because the, the, the emulators for old uh, old CPUs in, in, in the C language are you know, abundant. So uh, yeah, as long as, as you find a microcontroller that fits it, yeah, it's not hard, right? These machines had only a few machine-specific registers, and that, that was it. It's, uh, it's a simple thing to do. Well, Oscar, right after the uh, show here, we'll get you a list of all the things we want you to reproduce for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I also hope that, that some other people uh, get on it. start getting into the fake business. Uh, <laughs> Keeps you know, you out fake, of trouble. Fake right? Rolexes are so 1980s. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I'm going to, um, Oscar, I'm going to meet you in just a little under three weeks because you're going to be here in my area for the Vintage Computer Festival Southeast, right? Yeah, that would be great. I've, I've been to Atlanta for, for decades, I think, so I'm looking forward to it. Are you having a, uh, a table yourself? Yeah, yeah. I'll, uh, I'm just uh, you know, frantically at work to, to not only have the PDP-8 ready, but also at least a, a, a first version of that, that LGP-30. Oh, that'd uh, be great. I hope I get to see it. And I, I also have the, the PDP-11 ready, hopefully in time. The only thing is that I made the prototype of the, of the acrylic front panel, and it's way too dark, but... Yeah, as, as a prototype. It's... Maybe uh, I'll bring something, if you're interested, I'll bring something to show you, unless you've already seen it or whatever, but are you familiar with the Altair clone? It's a, it's a, so it's a, it's a physical, you know, full-size reproduction of the Altair 8080. But, yeah, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah. but inside it's I've like, you know. in real life. I, I wonder how, how, how they look, but they, they look, on, on, you know, on the internet, they look absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty accurate. For It's not 100%, but it's pretty darn close outside. It looks totally like a real Altair, but then it's it weighs next to nothing <laughs> because yep. of what's in it. But um, yeah, so, you know, that's that'll be something that I can bring that up and, and show you. I'll be at the show, of course, too. I don't have a, my own table or anything. But um, I forget the name of the of the, the gentleman who, who, who made that one. Um, he did a beautiful job on... on you're getting the case exactly right. And then I start to discover that writing the emulation firmware is, firmware is not, not so hard these days. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, the, the nuts and the bolts and the metal sheeting and, and that kind of thing. 
that's that's the where the work goes and then the, the creativity goes. So. Well, I want to tell you his name, which I should really just pop right out of my memory. I've interviewed him. So I have an interview at classiccomputing.com with him. And it's, it's, I'm pretty sure it's Steve Doug, Stephen Douglas, but that was the father on My Three Sons. <laughs> and, there's, and there's Michael Douglas, which is a movie star. Darn it, my page isn't loading. Oh, wait, here we go. Let's see if I can quickly get there and tell you about it. Well, um, Okay, Mike Douglas. Yes, so it's Mike yeah, Douglas. That's your question. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, and I do have an interview with him uh, that I did. So, if anybody's interested, check that out. But so you're going to the Vintage Computer Festival Southeast. I'll get to meet you, and that's in less than three weeks. And then, are you going to? Are you also going to Vintage Computer Festival East? Uh, not East this time. I'm you know, got to sort of limit your travel. Yeah. I was thinking that there's a VCF West uh, right. this year again for the first time in years. Yes. So I think. Oh no, not West, but another. Um, which one is it, Jeff? Midwest, right? The one in the Chicago uh, area. Midwest will be around September this year, yeah. Yeah. The Chicago one. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, Oscar, you mean West, right. You mean West like it in uh, Silicon Valley. Exactly, yeah. Yes, there is one for the first time. Sorry. You're yeah, right. That, that, that looks interesting, right? That's. Uh, yeah, there hasn't been one since 2007. So, yeah, yeah I wish that's I That's great. I mean, that's, uh, if you look at the number of VCF festivals like five years ago and, uh, and today, then uh, yeah, you, you can go there. Um, yeah, every two months there's one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's then there's one coming up, and and I don't remember the dates. I don't know if it's been announced yet, but there'll be one in Berlin, and one yeah. in the UK. So uh, the Berlin one I went uh, went last year. That that's really recommended. It's a totally different atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Also a different uh, kind of crowd, right? Ber- Berlin is a bit of an alternative city, I guess. Okay. It was really interesting to uh, to see the difference, also in the sort of people that come there. But, I'd love uh, to go. Yeah. So, <laughs> if you're looking for, for, for an excuse to, to make a trip to Europe, then VCF Berlin definitely is one. Well, I know my wife and I want to get to, um, we, you know, we lived in Germany for yeah. almost two years. And of course, we left in 93. So that's how long it's been since we've been to, to Europe. So we're, we're trying to plan on taking a trip sometime. Um, I think we want to go to Italy and, and southern Germany. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. Yeah, maybe we could try to arrange it for... The, you well, know. Because in, in southern Germany, in, in Munich, you have the VCF Europa, which is the, the oh right the, the longest running uh, European one. That's also a really really nice uh, nice event. So. Let's go, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, let me get my passport up, updated. Yeah, I don't have one, so that'd be our first step getting a passport. Just spend your money on on, on cheap replicas instead of expensive yeah. hardware, and then you know you have a travel budget instead of expensive plane flights. Plane flights and hotels, that'll eat, eat you up right there. Yeah. I want one Raspberry Pi running a core and, and running all these uh, front-end replicas at the same time. It could probably do three or four of them. Oh, easily, yeah. That'd be neat. Yeah. Well, Oscar, is there anything we uh, we should have asked you or didn't? Anything else you want to you wanna add? No, not particularly. What I hope is that uh, yeah, if other people find it, uh, find the, the, the idea of, of cheap but cheerful fakes uh, interesting. Yeah, the... the um, the, the, the schematics and whatnot are uh, up on my website. It's not particularly hard to uh, use in KiCad the, 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 the EE program uh, to make a, a, a variant of this front panel for any other uh, blink and lights computer. And, uh, yeah, why, why not uh, make it like Pokemon? Gotta have them all, right? <laughs> Somebody could probably, if they, I know getting acrylic one painted, and they're usually painted from behind, right? So it, it, you have kind of a depth to it. 
or are they painted on the front? How how are yours? Uh, yeah, I, I, I did it wrong, and actually, I didn't didn't know because, uh, of course, I, I didn't see a real 8i before I finished uh, finished the replica. Turns out the deck actually does the, the painting on the front, which okay. is not a good idea because it's it's more vulnerable. Um, mm, right. I, I made the painting at at the back uh, of, 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 the, of the acrylic, which is more more defensive at least. Um, but yeah, you can do it both ways. We'll forgive or you. Maybe somebody get a nice big sticker done up with it and print it on it. it would look a little little tacky, but uh... but if you really want to do it cheap and cheerful, uh, that's how I made my my first prototype. You basically print the the artwork of the front panel on on uh, a piece of paper. You laminate it. Yeah. Um, or, or stick it to, to, to just a piece of uh, acrylic or whatever. Um, and it doesn't look perfect, but it actually looks nice enough. I mean, that way you can really do it on, uh, on a shoestring. Huh. You sell just the front panels that you get made up. Yeah, but what I'm saying is basically making the electronics and the PCB. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's no longer expensive these days. Uh, making a proper that's right, acrylic is still, earlier, still so old-fashioned expensive. But if you by the time the, it comes to the cost of the panel, the, you yeah, know, and if you replace that by printing the whole piece of paper, um, hey, you laminate that piece of paper, then admittedly it doesn't look perfect, but uh, yeah, you could do a whole bunch of machines for uh, not much money. <laughs> All right. Well, Good. thanks. Thanks a lot, Oscar. Yeah, it's been fun. Thank Th- thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, very nice to talk to you, and look forward to meeting you in person very very soon. Yeah, looking forward. <laughs> <laughs>